Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is the For the Love of Film podcast. On this episode, I'm going to talk about five movies that I saw in the last probably ten days since the last episode. Uh, I saw Us, which is Jordan Peele's second film as writer-director. Then I saw, I watched two Netflix original films, Triple Frontier and The Dirt, which is the Motley Crue biopic film. And then I watched two more films from River Phoenix's filmography, uh, Silent Tongue and The Mosquito Coast. So it's interesting, before I before I get into this, um, I was messaging with, I, I do a group message, uh, not every day, but almost every day, one of us will chime in, and then usually the other two respond, but with Greg Gaskell and, and Bob Scam, and, and I asked them, uh, should I see Shazam or Pet Cemetery? They both opened on Friday. Um, I know Bob had already seen both of them, and uh, he said Shazam was a much better film, which I've heard that from a few people, and uh, I just... I didn't really have any desire to see Shazam other than I figured I should talk about it for the podcast. I did want to see Pet Cemetery, which is the second film adaptation of Stephen King's book. Um, it was getting initially really positive reviews, but now that it's actually out, uh, word of mouth is far less uh, positive about it. That, I mean, it's not getting horrible reviews, but uh, with Bob's personal review said it was not good. Um, and then Greg chimed in that, uh, this episode, you know, or this podcast is, it's far more entertaining when I rip into movies. So he suggested I see Pet Cemetery, which it's honestly, it's going to come down to when, uh, when the show times are, uh, when I go to see it, um, I'm probably going to see both of them this week, but, uh, as far as which one I will see tonight, which one I'll see Tuesday, that remains to be seen, so stay tuned to the next episode, and I will talk about at least one of those films, but maybe uh, both of them. So anyway, yeah, Us has been out a couple weeks, and it broke box office records, it has the highest, had the highest opening uh, weekend for a standalone original horror film, like not a not part of a franchise and not a remake of anything, uh, which is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, Jordan Peele did get out in 2017 and this is the follow-up. Uh, although it's not actually, you know, it's not related to get out at all. Um, it's not a sequel or anything like that. Um, I will say I, I did really enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it quite as much as Get Out for a few different reasons. Uh, I mean, the acting and the production design and the cinematography and the music and the attention to detail in this was just as great. Um, I don't know. Get Out I had s- sort of the surprise factor. I mean, I knew that Jordan Peele was talented, but like a lot of people, I don't think we were we were not expecting something quite like Get Out from him. You know, he was known from Key and Peele uh, for his comedic chops, but as far as having um, horror chops, but also making an intelligent 
you know, <coughs> excuse me, social commentary horror film. I don't think anyone was expecting that from him. So Get Out really surprised a lot of people. Uh, this movie, Us, is certainly scarier. This is more of a straight-ahead horror movie than Get Out, and it has a lot of scares, albeit there are a few jump scares, which I always kind of feel like are cheating. Uh, uh, it wasn't too bad in that, but the, my, my biggest issue with Us sort of occurred the day after when, you know, because I left enjoying the film, and then I spent a lot of time thinking about it over the next day and a half, and a lot of the logic just doesn't hold up. Uh, and, and I understand it's a film... And particularly with horror films, you need to suspend some disbelief, but it is fairly well written. You know, the acting across the board was fantastic, particularly Lupita Nyong'o. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name correctly, and I apologize if that's wrong. But, um, but, you know, when you raise the bar that much higher for the rest of the film, and then the logic just doesn't hold up, it... Uh, after, afterwards, I was like, eh, yeah, it was good, but it wasn't, like, it's actually kind of, kind of silly if you really think about it too much. Um, and, you know, you can argue you shouldn't think about it too much, but his, Get Out was such a smart film that, you know, it's hard not to. And it was mirroring the fact that, uh, Jordan Peele is you know, the showrunner, and I believe he's the host of the relaunch Twilight Zone, you could use the argument that it's, you know, it's it, it, it's like a 90-minute Twilight Zone episode, except for it's so grounded in our reality and uh, the reality of 1986, because there's a lot of flashbacks to that. Um, that's, that's my only real complaint with the film. It... it it's interesting because, you know, the, the protagonists are African-American, uh, as was a lot of, uh, you know, Get Out was more dealt specifically with race issues where, despite the fact that this is written and directed by an African-American and the, the all four of the family members, the leads, are African-American, the story has nothing really to do with their, their race, which... Um, which was great. Not that it, I, I don't think it's great that it didn't talk about race, but, um, it was sort of a standalone movie. It, I mean, maybe Jordan Peele has, has other racial issues that he was exploring in this that I just didn't pick up on in the, in the, uh, you know, subtle undertones, but this felt far less, of a movie, like an allegorical film, and more just a straight-ahead thriller, and it was great to see, you know, a mainstream film with four African-American actors, where their ethnicity was not, you know, dictating a plot point. So it kind of you know, proves, not that it needed to be proved, I mean, everyone logically should know this, but African Americans can, can carry a film, and it doesn't have to be a film aimed specifically at, you know, a black audience, so 
that was my that was my take on on that whole thing. But um, man, the acting across the board was fantastic. Uh, it was great to see Winston Duke in in a very different role from the role that uh, you know he played in Black Panther Mbatu. Uh, and I didn't realize until I started doing some research on it that Black Panther was actually his very first film. So he plays kind of a kind of a, a dorky dad type in this. And uh, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, just a tour de force performance. You know, she plays two characters, as does every actor in this film. They they play their the version from our world, and then they play like these these doppelgangers from from down below and that's not really giving away anything in the film because it's talked about in the opening you know uh, there's a writing across the screen in the opening shot so um, if horror movies are not your thing uh, you know I can't can't recommend it it's definitely there's definitely some scary moments I mean it's not incredibly terrifying but it is certainly a horror film and it's not a horror film like Get Out is more of a straight-ahead horror film. There's, there's a little bit of blood, but there's really not much gore. But it is, you know, it is scary. It's also very, very funny. Um, and I'm just excited for the next film that Jordan Peele has up his sleeve. I, I am sort of selfishly hoping that his next film, his third film, is not a horror film. I think he does great with horror and I'm sure he's got more horror stories to tell, but I think if he does three horror films in a row, he's going to pigeonhole himself as that's all he does. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino, his first two films, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, very similar, uh, you know, crime films. And then his third film, Jackie Brown, what would, while arguably still that, is much more of a drama about, you know, it's drama and and kind of a platonic love story. Yes, that sounds like an oxymoron, but it really isn't uh, between uh, Pam Greer and Robert Forster's characters. And I think that helped to keep Quentin Tarantino's career, keep us guessing with every film that he does. And I think, you know, Jordan Peele certainly could have that longevity and that sort of varied a career that Mr. Tarantino has had for the last, you know, close to 30 years. Um, so yeah, I'm really interested to see what he has next. Um, the next film I saw was Triple Frontier, and it was uh, directed by C.J. Chandor, uh, who I was not familiar with, but stars Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hudlin, and Pedro Pascal. Um, I had seen some ads for it, before the week it came out, and I actually thought it was a theatrical film, uh, not a Netflix film, and, and, you know, truth be told, it did play in one theater kind of near me, and Bob and I were going to try and see it, but uh, it didn't work out, and really wish I had seen this film uh, on a big screen, because there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful shots in, uh, you know, the the wilderness in uh, South America, and, you know, in the mountains, and wish I had seen in the theater because, you know, I watch Netflix on my cell phone primarily, which is a, you know, a two inch by three and a half inch screen. And it didn't do the cinematography justice, but uh, I still very much enjoyed the film. 
Um, I have mixed feelings, very mixed feelings about most of Netflix original films because, uh, you know, they put out so much original content and so much of it, in my opinion, is just subpar. A lot of it feels like a dumping ground where a quote unquote real studio didn't want to release it. So Netflix bought it because there's a star attached or, you know, a star director. And so I, uh, I was a little surprised, honestly, at the high quality of this, um, you know, I like Ben Affleck. A lot of people don't like Ben Affleck and I've never really understood that he's, he's always been a solid actor. I mean, he's certainly done some clunkers of films, but anyone with a career as long as his, you know, going on 25 years now, anyone with a career that long is going to have some great stuff and some not so great stuff. Um, and I think his period of really, you know, not great films is more than like 15 years ago. So I don't really know other why people dislike him other than I think some people have a personal problem with him. Um, he was good in this. Um, I think this is the first time I, first film I've seen him in not playing Batman in a, in a little while. Um, and Oscar Isaac also great in this, you know, I, I've, I've yet to see Oscar Isaac give a bad performance, but also Charlie Hunnam was fantastic. And I'm not a big Charlie Hunnam fan. I was never, he was always my least favorite part of Sons of Anarchy. And, you know, uh, he was decent green street hooligans kind of before he was big. And, um, I guess he was all right on undeclared, but he just never kind of grabbed me. And, uh, uh, I thought this is a perfect part for him. It's a heist movie. It's a, you know, crime heist movie, which, you know, is right, right up my alley. I'm a big fan of those types of films. And, you know, it's, it's five special ops guys who decide they're going to rob a drug lord and as these films usually do something goes awry and you know it's about the relationship between these five guys who have known each other for a while and you know what happens when push comes to shove um yeah I I I really I wasn't sure what to expect and it was better than I thought it was going to be I'd give Triple Frontier, a, a 7 out of 10. I, I, I forgot to give a rating for Us, uh, Jordan Peele's Us. I would give that, I would give Us a 7 out of 10 as well. Um, really, uh, really enjoyed that. The other Netflix film, speaking of mediocre Netflix films, which, uh, The Dirt, um, it's the Motley Crue biopic. It's based on their autobiography that they wrote with Neil Strauss, also called The Dirt, which came out, you know, like 15 years ago, early 2000s, which I read. Um, first of all, this this film really only covers their formation through, through Vince Neil being kicked out of the band and then him rejoining in 1997. So there's another 20 years of the band's career that's not covered here. And, you know, the book covered, uh, probably five more years after this, but, um, they've certainly had a storied career and definitely from that time period in the film on, um, 
there's been some reviews that have compared it to Bohemian Rhapsody as far as like that was another big biopic that music biopic that came out recently and while this is definitely more accurate historically accurate than than um, the dirt or than Bohemian Rhapsody it's still not incredibly accurate the, the one thing that was kind of fun is there's several of the characters do break the fourth wall and address, you know, they'll, they'll contradict stuff that was just depicted. And they're like, okay, this didn't actually happen this way, but for the sake of making a two-hour movie, we changed this and this, and this person was combined. So I, I can appreciate that uh, at least. Um, you know, much... First of all, the film focused mostly on the lives of Nikki Six and Tommy Lee out of the band. Far less attention was paid to Mick Mars and Vince Neil, and kind of rightfully so. Uh, Nikki Six and Tommy Lee are certainly the most charismatic of the four of them, and also they've had the most time in the tabloids. Uh, you know, uh, Tommy Lee was married to. Heather Locklear, and then Pamela Anderson, um, although his marriage to Pamela Anderson and the sex tape scandal and so on and so forth isn't addressed at all in this. And then Nikki Six, his struggles with heroin addiction. Um, and it did go a little bit more into his addiction in this film than, than the book The Dirt did. It, it sort of stole, or not stole, but borrowed from his autobiography, The Heroin Diaries. So, and also, the two actors uh, who played Nikki and Tommy uh, were probably the best actors in the film. <sighs> Having said that, uh, it's not a great movie. The the Jeff Tremaine, who directed it, is known primarily as the director of the Jackass movies, and he all, you know he's got his start directing um, skateboarding videos, and then the Jackass TV show, and you know. It, He's not a filmmaker, uh, or not an auteur by any stretch of the imagination. He's a barely serviceable film director. It's the the. It's just a series of scenes, really. It's not a coherent film. Um. Neither. Neither the guy who played, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not using the actors' names. The only actor whose name I know off the top of my head is Machine Gun Kelly, and that's obviously not his real name. That's his rap name, but he's the one who played Tommy Lee. Other than that, it's a bunch of people I'm not familiar with, and um, I just don't care about any of them enough to bother looking down at the the, the Wikipedia entry that is in. But uh, you know, the guy who plays Vince Neil doesn't really look like Vince Neil other than that he has blonde hair. Um you know, Vince Neil for most of his career was a lot chubbier and this guy's thinner. Uh, and then the guy who plays Mick Mars also doesn't look anything like him, but that's sort of forgivable because no one on the planet looks like Mick Mars. If they wanted someone to play Mick Mars that looked like him, what they could have done was get, uh, uh, the, the illustrated Gollum from the original animated, uh, the original Rankin Bass, uh, the Hobbit, film. That's the only other thing I've ever seen that looks like Mick Mars. Uh, but you know, they muddle a lot of the details, the whole plot with, uh, Vince Neil's daughter 
dying when she was young uh, took place at a totally different time than when it happened in this. He had not been in the band at all and actually, you know, talked about how none of the band ever reached out to him and addressed, you know, addressed his daughter's death at the time where in the film, you know, they, they express their, their sadness about what happens. And, you know, it's very much chalked up to, oh, the band's getting back together because we're, we're, we're a gang and we're buddies and we miss you where the actuality was, it was hatched out by managers and lawyers because the, the album that they did without Vince Neil with John Karabi singing uh, tanked and um, they were trying to figure out a way to make more money and neither Vince Neil or Motley Crue wanted to reunite with each other but it was done for a financial decision so I don't know like it just sort of reiterates that they're uh, you know not not exceptionally great human beings um, who made a bunch of not exceptionally great rock and roll. You know, they, I have mixed feelings about it because I was a huge Motley Crue fan in junior high and high school. And it definitely brought me back to that time. And, you know, knowing a lot about their personal lives and following their stories throughout the years, like, you know, I, 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 there was nothing in it that I didn't already know. And I don't know. I just, I, as entertaining as I find them, I also think they're horrible human beings. So I just don't, at the end of the day, I don't really care about the guys in Motley Crue. So, um, it's not a particularly inspiring story. It's just, they've been around a long time. Uh, the flip side is it got me digging out a bunch of my old Motley Crue albums over the last couple of weeks. And I've been listening to some of that. I mean, if anything, it made me appreciate their first couple of albums more because I was never a huge fan of Too Fast for Love and Shout at the Devil, the albums. Uh, and it's gotten me to revisit them. You know, this, the Dirt soundtrack, most of the songs on it are from those two albums, which which was good because it got me, like I said, listening to older stuff. You know, I I got into Motley Crue on the Dr. Feelgood album and worked my way backwards. So, um, I mean, I still think Dr. Feelgood is their best album, but it even that it's an incredibly polished, um, time capsule from 1989 and, you know, hair metal at its peak, but it's not, it's not a stunning album. It's, it's, it's one of the best examples of that type of music, but again, it's not an amazing film. So all in all, I really can't recommend the dirt as a film. Uh, if, if you're a fan of Motley Crue as, as I've learned, because, you know, I made my comments known on social media and a lot of people were mad at me about it and said it was a really good movie. And I'm like, you enjoying a film and it being a good film are two totally different things. Because there are certainly films that I love that I can recognize are not good pieces of cinema. Um, so I can understand really liking this. And it's primarily people around my age who grew up on Motley Crue and it's huge nostalgia factor, but as far as a film itself, um, it's not a great film. If you're not already a Motley Crue fan, I can't imagine it winning you over. Um, and you know, Motley Crue has far less universal appeal than Queen does. So I don't, I, I think this film's really just made for Motley Crue fans, but 
yeah, as a film itself, I would give it a, a five out of ten. Um, not uh, it's not the worst thing in the world I've ever seen, but it's certainly far from the best thing. Um, yeah, and then I saw I watched two more uh, movies from River Phoenix's career. Uh, first one being Silent Tongue, which I had watched many years before. Silent Tongue was one of the last films that he shot. Um, up until 2016, it was the most recent film that he had shot that was released. There's another film that he shot after it that was only released in Hungary, I believe. Uh, it only played in one theater, and it's pretty much impossible to watch, uh, to get a copy of it. So I don't know if I'm going to actually be able to see that. But So it's written and directed by Sam Shepard, um, renowned playwright and, you know, a fairly well-known actor who just passed away last year. But it's, it's basically... Uh, even though River Phoenix has top billing in it, he's not the main actor in it. It's his Richard Harris plays his father and he's, uh, you know, Richard Harris had bought, uh, a native American woman from a traveling circus. Um, this, this takes, it's a Western. It's, it takes place. Um, I want to say in the 1830s, um, he had bought a Native American woman for t- to become his son's wife. River Phoenix plays his son, and she died in childbirth. And you know, River Phoenix went; uh, he lost his mind over it, and he's standing guard over his wife's dead body. And he has a lot of dialogue with her ghost. You know, her the she's got ceremonial paint on her face and one side of her face is, uh, sunken and the skin is, you know, tight around the bone and the other side looks normal. And, um, you know, her, she's got one eye that's chalky and milky. And, uh, she basically keeps telling him he needs to release her. And, um, he's refusing to, cause he's just hanging on to her and, so anyway, Richard Harris returns to the traveling circus and attempts to buy her sister to then present her to his son as a new wife to hope to change his wife's or hope to turn his son's mental state around. And um, you know the the gentleman runs the circus, the father of the two Native American girls first refuses and then Richard Harris kidnaps the daughter and brings him, brings her to his son. So the, the man who runs the circus and his son played by Dermot Mulroney go and pursue them. It's a very slow paced film. Uh, you know, we see in flashbacks that he became the father of these girls because he, he had raped their mother. Uh, their mother's was referred to as silent tongue because her tongue had been cut out and, um, you know, pretty, pretty grim stuff and it's pretty slow moving. And, uh, as much as I'm a fan of Westerns, there's just a, I don't know, the production design of, of this film is pretty grotesque. So almost stomach churning at points. A lot of the carnival workers just have, uh, 
I don't know, just a physicality to them that's, you know, intentionally upsetting, and it's a very sun-baked, burnt-out uh, color palette for this film. It's it's a solid performance from River Phoenix, but like I said, it's not a lead performance. He's maybe in 40% of the film, and um, it, this is a real tough film to recommend to anyone, but, you know, die-hard River Phoenix or Sam Shepard fans. Um, I enjoyed it more when I had seen it you know, 15 plus years ago and didn't really enjoy watching it this time. I, you know, I remembered it when I started watching it again, but, uh, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty tough to sit through. So, you know, I, I, I have to give Silent Tongue a four out of 10. Uh, and then the last film was The Mosquito Coast, which is another film that I'd seen before. Uh, again, River Phoenix plays a supporting role in this. Uh, this was the second, or what was the first chronologically film that he did with Harrison Ford, but it was the second one that I've re rewatched. Um, and this one, he plays, uh, Harrison Ford's son, you know, in Indiana Jones and the last crusade, he had played a, a younger version of, uh, Indiana Jones. And in this one, uh, he plays his son. Uh, I had seen this movie years ago. I didn't realize Helen Mirren played his wife, you know, obviously a much younger Helen Mirren because this movie was made in 1987. Um, and, you know, I'm a big fan of Helen Mirren now, but man, 30 years, years ago, she was incredibly gorgeous. I mean, she's a beautiful woman now in her 70s. And, you know, she was in her early 40s then. Uh, but... This is probably from his entire career, maybe what lies beneath being the exception. This might be the least likable character that Harrison Ford plays. You know, he, he plays a, you know, an extremist who packs up his, his wife and his four children and moves to South America and, uh, he purchases a town and, proceeds to reinvent it, uh, you know, a new civilization and then stuff goes haywire and he battles a, um, a missionary who's, who's starting a church down there. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a darker tale as well. Very well acted. Um, uh, Peter Weir directed it, who had previously directed Harrison Ford in Witness. He was working on this film first, but, uh, they lost funding. So he did witness instead. And during that production, he ended up talking to Harrison Ford about it and Harrison Ford really expressed interest in it. And with him attached, they got studio funding. Um, this movie was not a success. And in fact, it is the only Harrison Ford film to not make its budget back domestically in the United States. Um, it's like the lowest grossing Harrison Ford film, Having said that, it is one of his best performances. Uh, it's a solid performance, and, you know, it's a straight drama. It's not an action film at all, um, but it's really, you know, a man slowly losing touch with re reality around him and, and slowly turning everyone who cares about him against him. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a thankless role, but it's certainly, if you're a Harrison Ford fan, it's something I would recommend seeing. Um, and this held up pretty well. Uh, it was also the second film where 
Martha Plimpton plays River Phoenix's love interest. And I believe the first one was, is running on empty. Um, you know, they're teenagers in this, but, uh, you know, both, both, both of them give solid performances and, uh, yeah, I would give, I would give the Mosquito Coast, uh, I would give it a six out of 10, certainly worth watching. So those are the films that I saw this week. Uh, hopefully I will be back talking to you soon. As always, I really appreciate everyone listening and, uh, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy.